Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Today, uh, we're talking about a topic that just really fits this whole series really well because oftentimes the topics we speak about in this series, they're often, um, they could be controversial, they're often sensitive, and so today uh, is no exception. We're talking about transgender rights, we're talking about transgenderism and and God, and so um, it's going to be a really interesting uh, message here today. You know, I, I remember a number of years ago, I was at my 10-year high school reunion and uh, I was walking around the room meeting a whole heap of people and uh, one person that I I bumped into and uh, just catching up and talking about what they're doing with their lives and they said to me, hey, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor uh, at, at a church. And they said, oh yeah. And this is the very first thing they said, all religions are the same. And when they said that, I, I just realized that it was a, it was a pretty ignorant comment because uh, obviously not all religions are the same. If you look into those faiths and those religions, they, they often say different things, very different things. And Christianity is different to, I would say, every single other religion. This is a grace-based faith. It's not works-based. And that is one of the big things that separates it from everything else. But anyway, I didn't, I didn't try to educate this guy on it. Uh, he obviously had his opinion and I just said, okay, and that was fine. I, I wasn't there to try to change his, his mind about anything. He didn't understand anything about the context of what I do uh, or, or what faith is or, or you know. So I, I just left it at that. And I think that that is the, the risk that, that uh, it, it was a potential risk for today is that the context and the subject that we're speaking about today, it requires a lot of uh, in-depth research. And that is something that I absolutely did in preparation for uh, today's message. I don't want to be ignorant about anything. And so it was important for me to try to immerse myself in the context of the subject by which we're talking about today. Obviously, I understand Christian faith, but we're talking about uh, transgenderism. And and this is something that I really needed to look into. And so I read a number of books on this topic. Some of them were secular, some of them were faith-based, and just try to understand as much as I can. And the reason why is because today I don't want to be ignorant. Uh, Today I don't want to be mean. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, hard-hearted or anything like that. Um, I, I want to approach this with a balance of truth and grace. And I think that if we live uh, in, a, in, a, in a culture where all we do is speak truth, then we offend people all the time. And let's face it, people are really easily offended today anyway. But if, we're, if it's all truth and no grace, that could be horrifying. If it's all grace, but no truth, we're probably lying. And if we can find a place where we can balance truth and grace, I think that's the space where we need to be. And I say that to you today because as I begin to talk about some of the subject uh, matter for today, uh, you may be tempted to write all kinds of comments in the section, you know, as we're watching online today. And, you know, whatever you say and whatever comment, it's okay to affirm things that you agree with. But I would just say it's really important how we agree with those things and the manner with which we may agree or even, you know, potentially disagree with these things. I am reminded of the fact that the Scripture say that it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. And you know how people understand that God is kind? They know that God is kind when His people are kind. The Scriptures say that we are ambassadors for Christ. So we carry that message. We carry uh, the banner of Christ with us. And that means that people understand something about God through us. And so it's important that we do that really well. So um, here's what I want to do today. 
I want to talk about the culture that we live in, because for some people, that might be a real eye-opener. Uh, number two, I really want to talk about what the Bible says uh, uh, about transgenderism. It doesn't even really say anything, does it? You know. And then the, the third part is, how do we reconcile trans rights and, and biblical mission, and how do we bring these things together? You know, it, it's a really interesting um, period of time to live in culturally. I would say that we have moved from what was once the unthinkable to now what we would consider unquestionable. At one time, everything that is being said in social media today or, or in our current 2021 woke culture, uh, it's unquestionable. But at one stage, it was unthinkable and we have progressed so far. And I tried to look at this objectively and say, where did this start and how do we get here? And, and if you were to look all the way back to the 1960s and you were to look at the sexual revolution, one of the things that you would see back there is this idea about maleness and uh, men and, and women. And, and, you know, back then there was, and, and up until then, men and women had uh, specific roles and functions. And today we would probably say that some of those things are sexist. And we would look at some of the, the cultural context uh, around men and women roles and functions in culture and society. We would say, hey, that's really sexist. And, and today we would say that that's wrong. And one of the things that the, of, of the sexual revolution did, it had this idea that men and women were interchangeable. And when I say that, I'm just talking about in terms of equality, in terms of their value in culture and society and, and the functions and the roles that they could do. And so we would say uh, things like uh, men and women should be paid equally for the job that they do. Uh, we would say things like, uh, you know, women should be allowed to run businesses and, and they, they don't live in the kitchen and that's not their job and they can, they can go to university and study and, and become CEOs. And so, you know, we hear all of that and we say that's really good. And I think everyone would agree with that today. But we have now progressed to a place in our culture where beyond just in terms of equality, in terms of value to culture and society, we have progressed to a place where now there is a, uh, and this idea that men and women are interchangeable and now we're talking biologically. That there is no difference between men and women, that they are in fact the same thing and we, they're interchangeable. And I remember years ago when I first heard the term transgender, and to be honest, I heard that word and it just didn't make sense to me. I mean, we're probably familiar with it today because we've heard it so often, but the first time I heard it, I had to really break it down and think, what does that really even mean? Transgender. How can you, how can you under, transgender? Because just like, to me, I thought men are male and women are female. And to me, that just made sense. Sex and gender were the same thing. And so what we see is like the, the language game is changing a little bit. And if you don't understand language, then it's hard to understand context. And so today what I thought I'd do is I would just give us a little uh, language lesson here for the culturally woke in 2021 and explain a few terms that might be new to you today. Sex is biological, but when it comes to gender, gender is subjective, it's psychological, it's social, and it's cultural. Gender identity is a feeling-based concept, and it's disconnected from biology. 
So for many of you, you might have been like me where you thought that they were uh, connected, but now today they're saying that they're actually completely separate things. So your sex might be your biology, but you know, when it comes to gender, uh, you can be anything that you want. Your gender role is your behavior in society and how to interact with others. Transgender is an umbrella term for people whose identity, expression, and behavior don't conform to their sex at birth. Cisgender is people whose birth sex matches their identity. And when I say that, maybe for many of the people that are watching today, you would say, what are you talking about? Don't, isn't that just, do you mean like, like normal, like normal people? And that is exactly why that term has been invented. So that we don't say things like what's normal, because when we say that something is normal, it means that other things are abnormal. So the word cisgender is just for most of the human race whose biology matches their gender. But that is a term that's been invented to explain that. Uh, gender dysphoria is characterized by a persistent discomfort in your biological sex and gender fluid is for people who alternate between male and female or other various positions on that spectrum that we call gender. Now, if you are a little confused about this, um, I understand that. And, and you know, if you're wondering how big the spectrum is and how many genders there are, well, I've seen some studies that say there's up to 75 different genders. I've seen some people uh, interviewed that said that it was limitless, that there are as many genders as, you know, there needs to be, and we can't actually put a, a number on it. I looked up the... Uh, uh, social media platform Tumblr and they had on there 112 different genders and they listed all of them and that just kind of blew me out of the water and so for some of you everything I'm talking about today that might be news and we have I mean we just have moved so far in such a short time we've moved so far in such a short time and I think really the goal here for some activists and let's be clear this doesn't apply to every transgender person that is out there, but for some it does. And the idea is to remove uh, gender altogether and just have this spectrum where it's fluid and you can be anything that you want whenever you want to the point that it is impacting our culture in a deep and profound way. For example, I remember being a kid and people had this uh, toy that you could play with, Mr. Potato Head, no more. Uh, the woke, uh, you know, toy company Hasbro has decided that there is no gender and you can just dress it up however you want. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's fine. I mean, you can, you can do that. But my, my question is really like that we have to reduce uh, things to the point where I, I thought it was still okay in 2021 to actually have male and female. I, I understand that it's okay. It doesn't need to necessarily have a gender, but there's nothing inherently wrong with having maleness and, and femaleness. But, you know, maybe things have moved past that point. We're at a place right now where in primary schools, and we see these things happening, let's be clear. We see these things happening around the world, especially in Western culture and society. Over in the United States, we see a lot of things happening there that happen here as well. And there was probably a time where the gap between what happened in America and what happened 
happened in Australia or what happened in the UK and what happened in Australia that there was a there was almost like a lag like for Australia I feel like we were just a little bit behind them but the world has become a very small place and what happens there is happening here in many ways and so we see over in primary schools especially in the United States that there is uh, you you remember the gingerbread man well now they have the gender bread man and the gender bread man allows children to come into school and be educated about their genders and and guess what even primary school age children can select the gender that they want and 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 it's not that I I, I, I want to rail against education that's fine but I think we really need to do uh, sexual education at such a young age I I, I do wonder about that Our, our, our culture is reacting in a in a really big and significant way and in fact even this week Dave Chappelle the comedian uh, you probably uh, maybe you don't watch a lot of his stuff maybe you do uh, a lot of you would probably be offended no doubt but my point is that this week uh, everything has blown up on social media because Dave Chappelle uh, said something around uh, gender transgender and biology and really I think in many ways affirmed a, a scientific or biological approach to gender and now as a result of that people are saying uh, you know cancel Netflix and, and give up your memberships and I just think this this is happening and whether you like it or not this is happening this is our culture this is where we live this is not just some subculture that's happening in some pocket of of Western culture that doesn't apply to you trust me in the time and the years to come this is going to have a really big impact on how we approach a lot of things and then so where does this all begin how does it start well I, I want to just uh, look at a couple of things here today and 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 understand how this impacts a range of people but specifically a lot of the things that we're seeing today they began years ago and a lot of it for a lot of people this kind of idea about gender identity it, it begins when they're young and so in a lot of doing some of my research I, I read a book by a, a woman named Abigail Schreier uh, and she wrote a brilliant book called Irrevocable Damage she's a secular author it wasn't faith-based it is a genuine look at the transgender culture and she writes a lot of things she interviewed a lot of experts just to get ideas and perspectives and opinions one of those people is Dr. Uh, Lippmann who said in the last decade we've discovered adolescent gender dysphoria has surged across the west in the United States the prevalence has increased by over a thousand percent two percent of high school students now identify as transgender according to a 2017 survey of teens issued by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Britain the increase is four thousand percent and three quarters of those referred for gender treatment are girls you've got to see something very significant happening in our culture and specifically when it comes to our young adolescent girls we've got to pay attention to things that are happening now after all the research has been done there is no gene for gender dysphoria so people can absolutely say they were born this way I understand that it's subjective in that way but there's there's no scientific way to predict who will have gender dysphoria and who won't so there are some things that we don't understand but there are some things that we have learned along the way according to research when it comes to gender dysphoria it typically begins in early childhood ages two to four and though it may grow more severe in adolescence but in most cases nearly 70 percent childhood childhood gender dysphoria results 
Historically, it afflicted a tiny sliver of the population, roughly 0.01%, and almost exclusively boys. Almost exclusively boys. Before 2012, in fact, there was no scientific literature on girls aged 11 to 21 ever having developed gender dysphoria at all. Here's the question. What happened in the lead up to that 2012 period? Why have things since that time surged? There has to be a link. There needs to be a reason why it was almost unheard of and now we see it surging and things moving forward. And the answer is social media. Social media is responsible for so much of the culture and what we see happening today. And right now, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about all transgender people. I'm just focusing on where a lot of this stuff originates for people. So we're looking at um, adolescence. We're looking at where it, it begins. And I think this is absolutely relevant because we, we can look at the past and acknowledge how we got to this point. But there's an element of wanting to look to the future and saying, where will we be in the time to come? We need to look at this. We need to understand it. Now get this. Adolescent girls report greater loneliness, loneliness than any other generation on record. That is so sad. Fear, anxiety, this constant worry. You think, where does this come from? And the answer is, is a lot of the culture that we see that's happening in adolescent girls today comes from social media. It comes from comparing themselves to images maybe that they see on social media. And then we have social media gurus that get on there and they promote certain things. You know, you have social media influencers. Do you know why they call them influencers? Because, yep, you guessed it, they influence the culture. And when it comes to transgenderism, they absolutely influence this culture in a, in a very serious or, or a significant way. Now, I didn't come to this conclusion by jumping on Instagram or Snapchat or, or at some platform and, and being on there for a couple of hours and just trying to draw my conclusions. This, what I'm talking about today, comes from the stories of many people who have become transgender. This is their stories. This is their background. This is their history. And I read so many stories because I don't want to be ignorant. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to understand the, the cultural context. And so I read story after story after story of people. And a lot of them reflected back on the influence of social media. And to a certain extent, you can understand it. And the reason is, is that when, when you have an adolescent girl uh, that, that's going through things and, 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 and maybe worried about what their parents might think or their family might think if they come out as transgender, where do they turn? They turn to a place for support and where do they find it? Of course, they find it on social media and it's not hard to find. Now, the, 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 again, this next thing that I say, this isn't just me just coming up with things. This isn't me just you know being on social media and drawing my own conclusions, but the research would suggest that from trans influencers, that they have a bit of a mantra. And I could say a lot about this, but I'm gonna summarize it by saying this. If you think you might be trans, you are, and you should just do it. 
You should just go for it. At the end of the day, you can always change your mind if you need to. And it's this idea that if you think you are, you should, so just embrace it. Now, trans, or, or I would say social media influencers or, uh, you know, Insta influencers, the, these guys, I mean, they want to be fun. They want to be supportive. They want to be encouraging. And I understand that, right? But it's, is, it, is it always honest? For example, if you start taking the, the hormones, if you start taking testosterone, uh, if young girls start taking testosterone, right, are they really being honest about the increased risk of cancers or prophylactic hysterectomies that may be required later on in age? And the reason why these serious, serious health concerns aren't issued is because that's not fun. That's not supportive. That's not, you know, affirming. And this is the place where our culture is getting to. Now, I told you that what has, uh, you know, happening over in the United States is really quickly in so many ways is already here and making its way here. And I can tell you this, that in the United States, there is a lot of gender identity education that's happening in primary schools where, where small children are coming home and talking to their parents and saying, hey, uh, they said I can be anything they want. Now, previously, this kind of education was left up to the parents. This was the domain of parents. Parents would speak into their lives of their children. But now we see something very different taking place. It's happening in state curriculum. And the reason is, is that the state is worried or, or you know, our, our woke culture today is worried that parents aren't educated enough to educate their children on these kinds of issues and, and, and ethics. So they're stepping in to pick up the slack where the parents may not be doing the right job of educating and what we're ending up with and this is the trajectory we're seeing state educated children around these things uh you know and and you know state raised kids uh you know so that they can start to to a certain extent control where the culture is going and there should be some level of concern about this for us now, why, why is that happening? And, and where is the big protests? And where are the parents that are outraged? And why are people not so worked up about this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Now, the truth is we're starting to see this breakthrough. We're starting to see parents really get a, a good insight as to what their children are learning in school. And it's starting to have an increased resistance in our culture. But why wasn't it resisted in the first place? And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because the guys under which all of this um, gender identity teaching and education comes, it's under the guise of anti-bullying. Anti-bullying, come on. Who's going to argue with that? Who's going to argue with anti-bullying? Someone comes to me and says, I think we're going to run a program on anti-bullying. I would say, absolutely, that's a great idea. I feel very strongly about the bullying issue. I, I think that no one, I don't, doesn't matter if you're transgender, doesn't matter if you're a Christian person, no one should be bullied. And we see this happening a lot, especially on social media platforms. Keyboard warriors really going after people, right? But, but bullying is something that shouldn't happen. So when we, when we see, you know, uh, people bring in a program or the state bring in a program that says it, we're against bullying, Parents affirm that and they say, absolutely, there shouldn't be any bullying, right? But, but is that really what's going on? 
Is that really the, the motivation behind it? Or is this just the guise under which they're re-educating uh, children in many ways for the, for the future of, of the human race? And I think that that is exactly what's going on. You know, let me give you an example of this. When I was in high school, there was a, a guy that was there. He, was, he had his locker above mine. He's a couple years older than me. Really nice guy, happens to be from Korea. And there was another guy in his year level uh, that was a racist person who continued to bully this guy and, and everyone knew about it. We knew that this, this Korean guy was getting bullied. And one day we just heard it was all going to go down, that the Korean guy had had enough and he was going to sort it out. And we heard that there was going to be a fight after school. You know how this stuff travels. So after school, I remember waiting out the front of school to see what was going to happen. And boy, was it a show. This guy had had enough and he just opened up all kinds of karate, kung fu, whatever moves. I've, I've, I've never seen anything quite like it, but he just opened up on this other guy and he just put him down. And after that happened, right, everyone, the teachers came and they sorted it out and everyone was told that bullying was wrong and that's what it was was that bullying was wrong and that no one should be bullied. And every one of us would agree with that. But here is something that didn't happen. We didn't then the next day go into class and they say, right, we're going to now educate you about Korea. We're going we're gonna to teach you about the history of Korea. And by the way, we're handing out stickers of Korean flags and we want you to stick those Korean flags all over your lockers. And we're going to give you Korean lanyards to wear around your necks. And, and you're going to learn all about uh, what Korean people wear. And in fact, we're going to have a day where we just celebrate Korean people. And you're going to wear traditional, I don't even know what Korean people wear, but we didn't have a day where we had to dress up in traditional Korean, uh, whatever they wear. Uh, we didn't learn about their beliefs system or anything. We didn't have to stand there and, and sing the Korean national anthem. And, and if any school did that, we'd say, whoa, 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 that's a little bit overkill. Shouldn't we just stamp out bullying and say, and say that racism is wrong? Like, isn't that the way that we should go, right? See, that would be something that would make sense to me. None of those things that I just spoke about happened. Of course they didn't happen. That would be to overcorrect the issue. And right now we live in a culture, and I think that this could be a little bit of a problem for our culture, is that when it comes to the inch issue of transgenderism, if a child says that they're transgender and you don't affirm everything that they believe, then you are just like that bully. You're painted out to be the bully. And no one wants to be the bully. No one wants to be horrible, especially when it comes to children. I think there is a, a mass of people right now in the world that are a little bit perplexed about what to do. They're not sure what they agree with. It's kind of a confusing issue. But can we just step back for a moment and just talk about this issue? Children cannot buy alcohol. Children cannot drive cars. Why? Because we have deemed that they are not old enough to. Everything is about consent when you're underage, right? But now, over in the United States, children can access puberty blockers, and we're seeing this more and more, that they're able to do it without the school ever informing the parents because of privacy rights. I think, is this really helping the issue? You know, when, when I remember my son Isaac, when he was little, he wanted to be the Hulk. And he must have seen something about the Avengers. He wanted to be the Hulk. And it was kind of cute. And, and, and I, I wanted to sort of encourage him. But come on, I know he's never, it doesn't matter how much he wants to be the Hulk. Eventually, it, it's, it's never,
never going to happen however He wanted it to be. And I reckon it would be pretty harmful for me to continue as He grows to affirm that it's still possible and He should go after it and He should still do it. The truth is He grew out of that, just like a lot of children do. And my concern is that we're doing irrevocable damage to children at a time when they don't really understand who they are. But everything that I just said to you is the opposite of how psychologists, not all, not all, not all, but many psychologists are approaching this today. And they have a, a, a type of care that's called affirmative care. And affirmative care is the theory of gender, with regards to the gender affirmation is, is that they know who they are, so we need to affirm who they are. And anyone that steps to the left or the right of this and doesn't affirm what children think they are is what? Come on, you already know. They're, they're full of hate speech, they're bigoted, uh, they're harming them. And I think, is that really true? When 70% of these cases will self-resolve, is it really harmful? I don't think so. To me, it just doesn't make sense. Listen to this. Dr. Blanchard, a secular sexologist says, I can't think of any branch of medicine outside cosmetic surgery where the patient makes the diagnosis and prescribes the treatment. This doesn't exist. The doctor makes the diagnosis. The doctor prescribes the treatment. Somehow, by some word magic or word trickery, gender activists have somehow made this a political issue. We have a generation of young people that are looking for love. Some of them are confused. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for acceptance. And those things that I just said, they don't always, and they don't exclusively apply to young people. I think they just apply to people. Everyone that I know is looking for love and acceptance and affirmation. And I don't think it would matter whether you're a, a child or an adult. Everyone wants the same things. Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem in our culture. And if you're a Christian person, you'd be tempted to say, yes, and it's a moral issue, but it's not. Morality is the effect. But what's the cause of all of this? We have a cosmological issue. In other words, what is the origin of humanity? Who were we at the beginning? What is it? The issue that's facing human flourishing right now, one of the major issues is, what does it really mean to be human? And revisionist culture is trying to look, relook at gender and trying to relook at it and change what we're doing so that everyone can be comfortable. And they're trying to change what it is, what it means to be human in many ways. And the tension is, is that the culture is moving on this issue. And on the spectrum, I would say that there are, there would be activists at one end of the spectrum that are so progressive and they are ahead of the culture. And then there are people that are caught in the middle that say, oh, I don't think I really believe that, but gosh, I don't know what to say about this issue. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got the church who refuse to budge on the issue. And why is that? It's because Christian people have an anchor and the anchor is Scripture. And when it comes to Scripture, this is what we say, that it is inerrant. So we would say that the Scripture, is, it, it contains no errors. It's infallible, which means all of its words come to pass. And this is what Christian people believe about the Bible, that although there was human beings that wrote it, it was actually authored by the Holy Spirit. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're new to church and you're just trying to catch up on the issue, 
The Bible is the revelation about who God is, and it reveals so much about who we are as human beings. And if you look back in the beginning of the Bible, and you open the book of Genesis, it says something about the origin of human beings. It says something about us as people uh, and, 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 and who we are. And it says something about our Creator. God is, if God is our Creator, then that gives Him a certain level of authority over humanity. And if you think about that word authority, the beginning of that word is author. He is the author of humanity. And so why does that matter? Because God has something to say on the subject of identity. So let me read to you out of Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make God in our image after our likeness. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God said we were created in his image. And I don't know if that means anything to you, but I can tell you that from a biblical perspective, it means that human beings are the pinnacle of his creation. He created the world and animals and everything, everything that he put on the earth and in the earth and the universe, he created all of that. But the pinnacle of creation is the thing that's made in his own image. It is in, in many ways, and I think that we forget this sometimes, it is such an honor to be created in the image of God. You know, I am a triune being. I'm body, soul, and spirit. My, my God is Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm created in His image. We call this a Margo day, to be created in the image of God. The second thing that Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, that the Bible affirms the truth of an objective, enduring gender binary. He created them male and He created them female. Now, here is a statement that I never thought was ever going to be questionable, but human beings are male and female. And I never, ever thought that that would be controversial. I never thought that that could be controversial. Humans are male and female. The Hebrew word for man is the word Adam. And it says to God made mankind and he made male and female and he made them for each other. And that means that your gender identity and your gender sexuality are part of God's will for his image bearers. You know what? Gender is not an accident. And gender is not a social construct. It cannot be. Do you know that the Scriptures say that God knitted you together in your mother's womb? Of course that made sense because mothers are the only ones that can have children. And God knits you together in your mother's womb. That means that God cares about the unborn, which is why we feel passionate about that issue too. But He says that He knits you together in your, in your mother's womb. You, whoever you are listening to this today, whether it doesn't matter how you identify to me, I tell you this, you are not just the result of your parents getting together because the Scriptures tell us that you were planned, you were on purpose, that God has intention over your life. He has a purpose for your life and your gender is part of it. Let me explain what I mean. I was born male and I identify as a man because for me, uh, sex, uh, biology and gender, they're all interwoven. They're all interlinked to me. And as a man, I will never be called to women's ministry. I'm never going to do it. It's not my call. 
It's not what I'm supposed to do because my gender has influence over my calling. Men's ministry, sure. Women's ministry, no. Why? Because part of my purpose is ingrained in what my identity is from a biological perspective. And my point to you is this, is that your purpose includes your gender. Now, what does the Scriptures say about this? Well, let me read a couple to you. Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment. Now, the Hebrew word for this, it extends beyond clothing to include vessels, receptacles, utensils, tools, and implements, furniture. Furniture? Who who knew that? That you could have male furniture? Apparently you can. And furnishings and jewelry. In other words, don't go anywhere near it. And it says, Nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does this is an abomination to the Lord. In other words, no cross-dressing. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, No one whose testicles are crushed or male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. God doesn't want that to happen. And I could go into a lot of detail, but this kind of scripture, you know what it included? Eunuchs. And and because there were some pagan rites where transgender behavior was included, especially when they were worshiping like the pagan goddess, goddess Ishtar. And so transgender behavior was something that was around at this point. And God says, it will not be so with my people. What does the New Testament say about this? Well, Jesus reaffirms the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2 in the discussion around marriage. Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, so he's affirming Genesis 1 and 2, he says, God made them male and female. That is binary. He's saying this is how God made it and it shouldn't change. Now, trans people have seen they read the Bible, they, they understand it, and they've tried to get around some of these scriptures and especially using one to justify sex change medical intervention. And I want to read that scripture to you because I think it's important that I address it. Matthew 19 verse 12, these are Jesus's words. He said, For there are eunuchs that have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs that have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs that have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive this receive it. We have three categories of eunuchs. And and let's unpack this and understand it. The first category, eunuchs from birth. So people who are unable to have sexual intercourse and as a result of that, they never married. Under that banner, what would we put? Well, I think we'd have to put any anyone who has a sexual disorder. So this might be maybe hermaphrodites or maybe this uh, is people that would call themselves intersex where they just are unable to do it, or, or at least some are. And, and what would we say about that? Well, I'm going to explain something to you that happened in the book of Genesis that helps to understand the corruption of DNA and, and, and even the physical fabric of the universe that we live in. When sin entered the world, it didn't just corrupt our relationship with God, it corrupted our DNA. It corrupted us. So you've got to understand something. When human beings were created, we were intended to live forever. Now the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death isn't something that was supposed to exist. It only happened as a result of the fall. And today, we see a lot of things, a lot of people born with conditions and issues. Yes, intersex, one of them, but there are many conditions out there. Does that mean that God is approving of them? No, but we understand that we are living in a fallen and a broken world. And if you are listening to this for the first time and what I just said blows your mind and it almost seems inconceivable, I totally get that too. Because the only world you've ever grown up in and ever known is the one that you're living in. And the idea to even think of or imagine that human beings could live forever 
Nineveh, it seems outrageous because our context about human beings living, you know, for what? At max 120 years. You know, when we see that and, and, we, and we understand that that's our worldview, it seems almost impossible to imagine anything else but it was not this way from the beginning and it wasn't supposed to be this way. So there are eunuchs from birth. Number two, there are eunuchs made by men. These are people that have emasculated themselves for temple service, which was common in the day, but not approved by Jesus. And then he says there are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. And those are people who chose to remain unmarried so that they could serve God with all of their hearts for the rest of their life and just stay focused on the kingdom of God. And nowhere in any of the scriptures that I just read, nowhere there is there room for transgenderism being approved by Jesus. So come on, let's go dive just a little bit deeper and look at what the New Testament says. Because Jesus wasn't the only one with an opinion on this. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he wrote at a time where the Roman Empire was at its ultimate power. And at this time, sexual promiscuity, homosexuality and transgenderism was, was prevalent. So it was absolutely there. And in the middle of that context, Paul the Apostle, again, wrote nearly half the New Testament. He says that you should flee from sexual immorality. You've got to get as far away from this as you can. Now, this is where it stings. And this is where it gets difficult to hear and understand. If you are a transgender person, it is impossible for you to do what I just said, because the very notion of transgenderism is connected to a lifestyle that is so far from, the, from what God wants for your life. Like the very nature of it. And when we say that anything misses the mark in terms of its design and intention, that's what we call sin. I, I want to take a moment just to define sin, especially if you're new and maybe you're watching this and you've got questions over your gender. Uh, let me break it down for you if you're new to church because I don't want you to misunderstand this. It's very important you get it. When we talk about the word sin, it's so easy to just imagine that that just means morally wrong. And, and, and it probably includes sex because, you know, we just look at, you know, sex outside of marriage and that's what sin is and it's bad things and bad stuff. No, no, no. Let me, let me really define what sin is for you. It means to miss the mark in terms of your design and your intention. To miss the mark in terms of design and intention. And sadly, when it comes to transgenderism, here's the thing. Transgender would like literally be the very embodiment of missing the mark in terms of design and intention. God's designed you to be a certain way and to function in a certain way and to step way outside of that would be what the scriptures would call sin. So if you're listening to this and you say, hang on, wait a minute, um, I thought that all people were sinful. Absolutely. You know, in the sense that, what does Romans 3.23 say? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As Christian people, we're not, we're not self-righteous. Gosh, we don't think that we're amazing and, and that we get into heaven based on our good behavior. That's what every other religion says. Christianity is a grace-based faith. I am saved by grace through faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me. By the way, that is what we call the gospel. And I think it's a very good message because it means no matter how good you are, God still has a plan for your life. He loves you. He wants to forgive you and move forward. So when we say, hang on, if all things are sinful, why are we? Why, why just single out trans? Right? What, what, what are trans people supposed to do? Well, all of us make mistakes, but here is what the Bible says to everyone: trans or not, it says to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, the word repentance it means, in essence, to change your mind. 
In other words, there was a time in my life where I lived very far from what God wanted me to do. And then there came a time where I changed my mind. And as a result of changing my mind, I changed the direction of my life. And it says, you're meant to bear fruit. So what's the fruit of your life? If anybody tells me that they really love God and they are going after Him, I would look at the fruit of their life. Is it really there? Do we really see it? Are you really going after God? It says, bear fruit in keeping with the direction of God. Now, no one's going to be perfect, but in essence, we're at least supposed to try. So when it comes to Christianity and transgender, we couldn't be more different about the idea of identity because Christians would never identify their identity in their sexuality. And that's important because when we look at, at people like the intersex people and say, hey, why, why doesn't that mess with their identity? I'm saying it doesn't matter who you are or how you're born. Your, your, agenda or your identity is not meant to be, or your gender or identity is not meant to be grounded in your sexuality. Christians would say something so radically different to all of that. As a Christian person, I would say that my identity is not in my sexuality. It's in my relationship with God. And who am I in God? Well, here is where it gets really, really good. If you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus, that, that means that you have been adopted into the family of God. That makes God my father and that makes me his child. And I am not what everyone else says I am. I am who he says I am. And he says I am a child of God, that I am loved and I am what? I am affirmed. I am loved. I'm accepted by God because of my faith in Jesus Christ and the fruit I go after in my life. And so I, 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 am, I am loved. I, I am whole. You know, like, I know there's this idea out there and I would say this to anybody who's walking around feeling like they're just half a person. You're not half a person, right? You know, it's, I, I say it's Jesus that makes you whole. When you have a relationship with Him, you could be single, married, divorced, intersex, whatever. You could be any of those things. But if you've got a relationship with Jesus, that's what makes you whole. So you're not looking for things in this world to complete you. Thank you, Jerry Maguire. You actually get completed when you have a relationship with God. So what's my whole point? Well, you know, biblically speaking, understanding gender doesn't begin with subjective feelings. It begins with understanding your origin. It begins with understanding design and intention. And biblically or biblical design is that, is that male and female are different. And I would think that would be so obvious to me, and I'm not trying to be offensive here, but to me, that would be so obvious. It's almost amazing that I can say it out loud and it should ever be controversial. I mean, I feel like it's just so easy to prove. Here's how. Like, just think about it. The person that gave birth to you is a what? A woman. Because only women can have babies. And, and a man, you can call yourself whatever you want. Find yourself on any part of the spectrum, okay, but when it really gets down to it, we know in here, come on, let's be honest, we know that only women can really have babies. So based on that, biblically speaking, gender cannot be a social construct. It by definition has to be a biological one. Now, in doing research for her book, Abigail Schreier, she interviewed three 
forensic anthropologists and she asked them in detail about the difference between men and women. This is what they said. Each confirmed for me that with an adult skeleton, sex and gender is easy to spot. Men's bones are not only much bigger, they have on average 50% more bone mass than women's, but many bones, including the pelvis, femur and skull, also have a sex-specific morphology, meaning that they are shaped differently too. Now, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just, that's just a fact. That's just a scientific fact. And science is affirming everything that Jesus said about male and female, everything that Genesis said, it affirms a biblical narrative and perspective on men and women. So now we get to the part where we say, all right, well, to me, this is very convincing, but people are still going to disagree. So what do we do with this? I mean, we understand what our culture is and what they say. We understand what the scriptures say about this. How do we look at trans rights and, and biblical mission? Where do these things come together? What do Christian people do with this now? Here's what I want to say. Firstly, if you are a Christian person watching this message, let me just say this to you. I want you to think for just a moment how confusing it could be, how fearful you could be if you were a person struggling with gender dysphoria. Can you imagine the fear and the anxiety? It's no wonder that people seek out affirmation on social media platforms. They're looking for a community that will lovingly accept them and guide them through the process. I want you to just think about how hard it might be for them to come out to their parents. Can we have a little bit of compassion? Sure, it might not be your choice, but can we have compassion for people that are struggling through with this issue? I'd like to remind you of a scripture, Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. Guess what? All of us have the problem called sin. Every single one of us needs to be the recipients of God's grace. None of us have the right to say that we're perfect without the grace of God. We should be reminded of that. So maybe as a Christian, you've come a long way. Maybe you have been what the scriptures would call sanctified. It's the process of being made holy. But remember, that's something that God does in you. So maybe you're further down that track in your mind. But can you just remember that everyone starts somewhere? Everyone's journey starts somewhere. And we've got to lovingly help people, whoever they are, as they begin their journey to try to understand the cosmological origin of humanity and try to understand how all of this fits together. What Does God really have a plan for their life? I think we've got to be sensitive to that. I think we also need to remember Romans 2.4 that says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Yes, it is. And people understand that God is kind when we are kind. People understand that God is kind when we are kind. So the words that we use and the comments that we make, whether they're online or in person, those comments matter. But kind and loving doesn't mean that we have to agree. And it doesn't mean that we have to affirm. And in many cases, what it means is we have to lovingly be honest and con confront issues when we, when we see those issues today. And this is why I say this, because in a thousand years from now, what we say matters and it's gonna make a difference in the lives of other people. So what does repentance mean? Well, repentance means that we've got to live our lives in alignment with the Scriptures. And if you're
you're a trans person and you're watching this, you, everything that applies to you applies to, to Christian people. We have to live our lives in alignment with what God says. And then maybe, maybe there are people all over the world, Christian people, non-Christian people, we all have different desires. What God is asking of humanity is for all of us to bring all of the things that we think into alignment. Christians and non-Christians alike, we're meant to live in the pursuit of God. By the way, let me say this. If you're a trans person, this happens to be the subject and context for today. But we don't speak about this stuff very often. I don't know if you know anything about what goes on in church. But trust me, these are not messages that we really focus on. This is not the stuff that we talk about all the time. You are not the subject of context or subject that we talk about all the time. We, we, we say a lot of different things. In fact, none of this is personal. And, and just while, while, while we're on the subject of what Christians really think and say, let me say a couple of things to you. Here's a couple of things that Christians wholeheartedly disagree with. We disagree with cheating on your taxes. Yep, we are anti-cheating on your taxes. We, we, we're, we're against that. And we are against lying. We are not for lying. We are against lying. We think that that's terrible. We, we, are, we, are, we have a, a, um, a zero tolerance policy when it comes to murders, like no murders, like none. We're like, nope, no murders. Uh, that would be very bad. That would be very wrong. We're not about murders. Uh, we are not about a lot of things. We're not about stealing. And, and when it comes to sexual ethics and what we think, what are we for or what are we against, right? Well, we're against most things that are outside of hex heterosexual couples having sex within the confines of marriage. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Because just think about it. Do you really see the church running around trying to hunt down all the heteros that are having sex outside of marriage? No. We're not, we're not hunting down these people. We're not, we might even have them in our church. And what we're about is trying to affirm biblical truth and trying to help people as they navigate this journey. So even though social media, maybe they do this, maybe they don't, I don't know, but we are not the enemy. And, and, and I would say the very same thing, trans people. Trans people are, are not the enemy. Guess what? Newsflash, Christian people don't hate people that disagree with them. We don't, we, we realize that, that most of the world disagrees with what we say, or, or at least the majority of it, right? They disagree with what we say. So what's our message? Well, it's not that we hate everyone that, that disagrees with us. In fact, in, in so many ways, if you look at the Old Testament and, and you sum up the law, and this happened, Jesus actually had this conversation with one day. Let's summarize it to love God and love people. We're supposed to love people and we want to do that, but that doesn't always mean that we necessarily agree with them. So trans people are not the enemy, but here's what I think is the enemy. I think toxic, cancel, woke, political culture is not just the enemy of Christianity, it's the enemy of humanity. It's not helping anyone. And there's a lot of people that would agree with this and they're so concerned about what others will say that everyone's keeping their mouth shut, but come on, it just doesn't make sense. Now, here's what you need to know. Let's bring this issue to a close. Right? If trans people or trans, sorry, if trans rights are promoted, Christian sexual ethics are demoted. Or I should say this, not Christian, biblical sexual ethics are demoted. So we have come to what I would call an impasse. There is no way that we can move forward on this. So this is the other issue, right? We are arguing for a world where we want freedom. No, that's not true. Not everyone is arguing for freedom. For example, trans activists are only, they want freedom for everyone. They only want freedom for themselves. 
Why is the biblical perspective on these things, why is that something that should be rejected? Who has the moral high ground? Why why is one valued above the other? Ours is anchored in Scripture and the origin of humanity. That's what we would say. But, But why should the perspective of one group trump another? And this is what I get concerned about. This is leading to an insane culture where feelings can trump facts. Here's, here, let, let me give you an example of this, right? The other week, someone had the audacity to say happy 40th birthday to me, right? Can you believe it? I'm only 25. I am 25 years old. I feel great. I feel terrific. I feel fit. I feel better right now than I, than I you know, uh, did when I was 40. Um, but why can't I just choose to be 25? Well, someone would say, well, of course you can't be 25. You were born in 1981. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah, well, who cares about facts? Aren't we just erasing facts in favor of feelings? Why can't I just be whatever I want to be? And this is the concern. If anybody can be anything that they want to be, then we're going to start to get issues. And these things, this is real. This is happening. We get transracial people like Rachel Dolzell, the woman who identifies as black, even though she's white, she identifies as black because she feels black. Are you serious? Are we really going in this direction? Or the trans-abled man in Britain that cut his arm off because he felt like he should be handicapped or disabled. Or the, or the trans-abled woman in North Carolina who poured bleach in her eyes because she felt like she should be blind. There is so much about this that doesn't make sense. Can't a child just buy alcohol by, by fact and virtue of the th- that they feel 18? They feel 21? Why not? If everything's all about feelings and it's subjective, then why can't we throw out all this stuff and anyone can be anything that they want? I think about our culture. I think, you know, 10 years from now, we have the Brisbane Olympics 2032, and I wonder how many biologically male born athletes will dominate women's sports. Are you kidding me? Seriously. Seriously. This has got to make sense at some point. And, and not even the LGBTIQ, not even all of them could possibly agree with this. You know why? Let's not forget the L in LGBTIQ. What does that stand for? Lesbian. What does lesbian mean? Two women in a sexual relationship. But if, if everything that we understand about removing genders is true, then they can't be two women just coming together. That doesn't make sense. Not everyone can agree with this. Even this movement couldn't agree with all of this. And, 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 and we cannot, like, my point is, we cannot agree with all of these kind of trans politics that we see happening today. What do I tell my daughter? You know, like try the best, as best as you can, like in any kind of sport or field, there are plenty of biologically male born men that can say that they're female, enter into your sport and dominate it. Because guess what? Men are bigger. Men are stronger. They have more testosterone. Their bodies are anatomically different. Their bone structure is different. Come on, this is just a fact. And this isn't even, I, I, I feel like this isn't even just conservative speech here this this has got to just be logical speech so I agree that we live in a secular culture and I absolutely think that trans people should have rights completely so if you're an adult you should absolutely have the right to change your sex we live in a secular culture doesn't matter whether I agree with it or not if that's what you want to go after and if that's what you think will complete you and make you happy then you have the right to do that. 
If, if, if you want, you have the right to live free. You absolutely have the right to never be bullied. And I'm so strong in this. I don't want anyone to be bullied ever. And this is never, what I'm doing today, this is not bullying. Now, I, 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 I wanna bridge a communication gap here and help understand the context and where possible bring some grace, grace and truth, at least from a biblical perspective. This is not meant to be bullying by any stretch. You have the right to not be bullied. You have the right to not be hurt. But when trans rights remove the basic fundamental cultural, social and scientific rights of the majority, we have a problem with that. And when transgender rights remove the rights of parents and embrace what the Bible would literally define as sinful ideology, yeah, we got a problem with that too. And so what do we do? How do we, how do we move forwards? Well, this is the only way that I can do it. And maybe not everyone can do this, but this is the only thing I can, I can imagine. We need to separate trans people from activist politics. We need to separate trans people from act, activist politics and love the people, but reject the politics. And, and, and here, as I close this message today, here is what the, I, I think the church, I, here's what I think the Christian message is to the transgender movement and people. It's, guess what? It's the same message to the rest of humanity. Our message is number one, that Christian theology will never agree with your worldview. It will never agree with it. But that doesn't mean that we hate. And that doesn't mean that we hate you. We just disagree. And I thought we were at a place in, a, in our culture, in our society, where there was freedom of speech, where we were allowed to have a difference of opinion and, and, and lovingly where possible express that. We don't hate people that disagree, but we're never gonna agree on these things. Number two, Whoever you are, don't put your identity in your sexuality. As, a, as a, From a biblical perspective, we would say that's never gonna help you. And a thousand years from now, it's really gonna matter. You've gotta put your identity in Jesus Christ, who loves you so much that He died on the cross for your sins, for your, same as He did for mine. And our identity needs to be in the affirmation we get from our Father in heaven. I can never put my gender identity on my sexuality. Everything about me needs to be the affirmation that I get from God. I am who He says I am. I am loved, I'm complete in Him. The third point is this, I wanna tell you, whoever you are, that God loves you so, so much. You know what the Scriptures say? For God loved the world so much. And remember, it was in its fallen and broken state when He did this. He so loved the fallen, broken world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him will never perish but have eternal life. For Jesus was never sent into the world to condemn the world, but in order that it would be saved by Him. And that message of salvation is open to every single person no matter your current pressures or struggles or issues or identity issues, whatever it is, right? That message is an inclusive message, but it demands that you make a choice to not just give expression to how you feel on, on anything and everything, but to start to really go after God. What, what, what did I say? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, to really go after Him. Here's my thing for you today, is that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Even as a trans person, I'll say right now, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Maybe you're a long way from it right now. I don't know. Here's my invitation. Find out, find out, find out who God is. Find out what He says. Find out about the life that you could have. Find out about the purpose that you can have in Him. 
I want to finish this message by just praying for people today. And the first group of people I want to pray for is anyone that is in a situation where they're just confused right now. And maybe you're a person where your gender identity, it's confusing. You don't know what you think. You don't know what to believe. And I want to pray that God would come and minister you and speak to you. And I, I pray that because I know that God loves you. Father, I thank you for every person who's watching this message today. However they feel, uh, wherever they are today, I pray God that they would know that you love them. God, you don't always accept everything that you that we do and you call us to change our lives in the pursuit of you. But I know God that you're a God of grace that begins our journey, every single journey. You begin by speaking to us, helping us to unpack truth, helping us to learn about your grace. And I pray, Lord, that for every person that finds themselves in that position, that you would do that today. And I pray, God, that you would minister in their life. Lord, whatever they're surrounded by right now, whatever their influence is right now, I pray that you would become the dominant influence in their life. And that God, you would just clear up everything that's confusing right now. And I pray you move. Holy Spirit, I ask that you move in the lives of people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.